Psalm 142, a prayer of David when he was in the cave. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Praise the Lord for his word. Well, friends, if you brought a Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm 142, if you're not already there. I, too, was unprepared for that video. Josh, those numbers are staggering. It's undoing to think that we have brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters, this very morning who are in a place where there is the distinct possibility that they could lose their lives today for their faith. It's just staggering. I don't have a category for that. And then there are missionaries who will say, I'm going there. I mean, I know why in my head, but in my heart. Which to me provokes the truth that there's a reality that they get that I'm not sure I get. And I'm just confessing that. There's something about the reality of Christ and his transformation of death that consumes them. I want to be consumed by that. I want to be consumed by that. I say that. May God be glorified. Psalm 142. Well, today's sermon is the last in a series of Psalms on Lament. We've been going through a series here at Kingsway. And in the Psalms of Lament, it's specifically Psalms of instruction where and when we experience life's biggest challenges, like debilitating sickness, overwhelming anxiety, faithlessness in our own souls, temptation, Hopelessness, and yes, even death. And in order to guard our faith, to guard 
and strengthen us, we have psalms of lament, like Psalm 142. And so today, we look at Psalm 142, where God, by his word, will address our hearts and help us during times, and specifically as we look at Psalm 142, during times of betrayal, times of abandonment, and times of discouragement. But before we discuss Psalm 142, would you join me in prayer? Well, Father, as this psalm speaks about, we too cry out to you. Father, we cry out to see you and to know you and to be addressed by your word such that our hearts are opened to love you and to love you more. Father, our desire is to honor you as the God that you are and the king that you are. Father, our desire is to take joy, overwhelming joy in knowing you because of who you are and because of your promises to us. So, Father, as we look into your word today, help us. Help us to know you. And help us to honor you with our thoughts. So, Lord, now as I pray, take our minds, think through them. Take our lives and our wills and mold them. Take our hearts, Lord, and set them on fire with love for yourself. For your name's sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, can it happen that a person gives themselves faithfully to their employment, serving their boss, sacrificing time, blood, sweat, and tears, as it were, for the job, is loyal, is diligent, makes a profit for the company, only to have that boss or another manager turn on them, perhaps lie about them, steal the credit that they deserve? Does it ever occur that a person commits to a relationship, swears a promise of loyalty to another, perhaps gives their money, goods, gives their heart in complete trust to the other, only then to have that trust and that relationship shattered by the betrayal and unfaithfulness of the other who had sworn allegiance? Can someone give themselves even to the service of God for the sake of the church? Do all things right and good and proper according to Scripture? Walk in godliness, walk in biblical holiness, only then to have their actions misrepresented, their actions misconstrued by lies, and thus experience betrayal by the ones they once trusted and held very dear? Well, by the nature of my questions, sadly, such things do happen. And they can happen to the faithful people of God. From the greatest to the least. And when they do happen, they hurt. They hurt. They influence. 
but they threaten, worst of all, to undermine faith, undermine obedience, and undermine worship of God. And sadly, they are all too common. It can happen in the job, it can happen in the family, it can happen in the church. But in the midst of such times, it's easy to find yourself wondering, what does God think? What does God say? In the midst of such times, you may find yourself rehearsing again and again and again the emotions of how could this happen? How could God let this happen to me? And if left unchecked, such times of betrayal sap your strength, sap your desire to serve God, and cause you to sinfully retaliate. But worst of all, in the midst of those times, we can battle the thought, I am all alone. No one's here to help me. Well, if anything remotely like that has ever happened to you, then you know what I'm talking about. You know the pain. You know the discouragement. You know the anxiety. It happens in life. It happens in the church. And in the midst of that, God gives us help. We find that help here in Psalm 142. It's a very short psalm, but it's a very powerful psalm. And I want to say at the outset, it's a very useful psalm to help us. The title of my message this morning is, God is our refuge when all else forsake. God is our refuge when all others forsake. Biblical commentators present this psalm as one of eight psalms that David wrote when he was fleeing from King Saul. As Suzanne read the message, she said, when he was in the cave of Adulam, which is one distinct possibility. Commentators have said possibility of another. But David at one time was a key leader and warrior in Saul's kingdom. And now, as a great leader, he finds himself hiding in a cave. Later time, I encourage you to go back and look at 1 Samuel 22 and read the story. But as you read the story and as we look at the life of David, it's provoking. David is in a very tumultuous time. And in the midst of his tumultuous time, he writes this psalm as a form of help. I have three points to look at this morning as we study this psalm. The first is the challenged faced, suffering compounded by loneliness. The challenge addressed, never alone for those who cry out to God. And number three, the challenge engaged, moving from spectator to participant. So number one, the challenge faced, suffering compounded by loneliness. This would encompass really verses two, three, and four. Did you ever notice that the Bible never paints a panacea of freedom from trouble and problems in this life, especially for the person who follows God? It's quite the contrary. It speaks emphatically that in this world, we will have tribulation. 
there's going to be tribulation. The Bible speaks that those who follow Christ will suffer persecution. Will. And as Pastor John Piper says, it's a mystery, not why we in this country from time to time experience some persecution, but why we don't experience more and why for the last 300 years we have not experienced far more persecution. I think he's right. It's helpful to see. And as we looked at the video this morning, there are millions of brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith. David illustrates here, Psalm 142, the depth of that truth that we will suffer trouble. He uses words like pouring out his complaint, pouring out his trouble to God, and in the midst of that, his spirit is faint within him. David's not just passively lamenting his hurt. There are people after him. There are people who not, are not only after him, they want to kill him. And he knows it. They're scheming. He says they hid a trap for him. David was facing attack from a force that was stronger to him, and it brought him to his knees. I don't know if you've ever faced that, where somebody was actually scheming against you, where you knew they were plotting, how can they take you down? It gets your attention. But most devastating of all for David was that in the midst of his trouble and attack and persecution, what tops it all off, if you'll look at verse 4 with me, he says this. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains for me. No one cares for my soul. What's David saying? David's saying that he feels all alone. He felt abandoned. David had basked in the support of other warriors. He basked in the support of the king. He knew what it was like to be in the midst of a congregation that was around him and supported him. He knew the strength that that brought. But in this trial, his mind and heart are faced with the emotion of feeling all alone, all that support seemingly gone. Now, I say feeling all alone and seemingly gone because interestingly, as you read through the part in 1 Samuel, you see that there were about 400 men who were faithful warriors who surrounded him, who committed themselves to his help and vowed allegiance to him. But David feels all alone. And for him, his feelings and the struggle are real. And it was tearing him up. He felt alone. He felt abandoned. It was true that he had no place to hide in this life. But more critical, more critical than the fact that there was a threat on his life... More critical was the threat to his faith. 
Faith is far more valuable. That's something Jesus talked about. That's something that we saw in the video today. This life is not all there is. Your faith, the Bible says, is worth more than gold. We so often hear in our culture that there is nothing more precious than having your health. That's not true. Health is critical. Health is important. Health is right. But from a biblical perspective, and I have to admit, I don't always get this, but from a biblical perspective, there's something more valuable than health. And that is faith and trust and honor of God. This life is not all there is. One day, one day this life will stop and our time in heaven will begin. Death is not the end for the Christian. Death is a door. And when we celebrated that baptism last week, we celebrated the fact that they had passed through death. Jesus said, he who believes in me will never die. Jesus suffered that death, so we don't have to. More valuable than life is faith. And you can't really have true life unless there is faith. When we pass away, we go to be with the Lord where we will never, ever be disappointed. I have a friend who has four now grown children. When she was a young mother, her husband began a business. Uh, not only were her husband and his business partner partners, but they were friends. In the course of a business day, they got into a dispute. The one man took out a gun and he shot and murdered my husband's, my friend's husband. She and the family were obviously devastated. The pain and the grief were obviously at times overwhelming. She had children to raise, mouths to feed, bills to pay, her own grief to deal with. She is and was courageous. But at times, what came to the top of her list above all things was this question. Why did he leave me all alone? For her, the pain of abandonment was the worst. Now, this is an extreme case. It doesn't take the murder of a loved one to evoke strong emotion and thoughts of abandonment. For each of us, we have our own situations. Whether we are sitting in a classroom, at the job, at the dinner table, surrounded by family, or worse, 
surrounded by empty chairs. You can take these words. You can personalize them. As it says in verse 4, I'm all alone. No one cares for my soul. The reality is you can be sitting here right now in this congregation, surrounded by friends, surrounded by people who love you, surrounded by community group leaders who pray for you, and a pastors and congregation who have covenanted to be there for you. And you can still say, I am all alone and no one cares for my soul. And the feelings are real. You feel like you have to walk out this life of faith all alone. You might know in your head there's others around, but in your heart there's this battle. And I'm all alone. For you the pain is real and it's distracting. And to summarize point one, just like David, you can testify that the challenge you face, the suffering and pain you experience, is compounded by the feelings of being all alone. Thanks be to God, we have a gracious Heavenly Father, and that's not the end of the psalm. There's verses 5, 6, and 7. So point two, the challenge addressed. Point one, we address the challenge Point two, address the challenge, never alone for those who cry out to God. Never alone for those who cry out to God. David in this psalm reflects on his circumstance. He admits he's overwhelmed. He's distraught. He's fearful. In short, he's utterly helpless. He's alone before his enemies. Now, it would seem very natural for David at this time to turn inward. When you walk through times like this, it's easy to withdraw, perhaps to resort to self-pity, to rehearse bitterness or a sense of judgment. And perhaps I'm revealing the way I tend to respond to those situations. Perhaps at those times, it's easy to give in to callous thoughts of, I deserve better. This is not what I signed up for. This is unjust, and I'm just going to take my ball, and I'm going to go home. Dr. Pallison says this, When we suffer, we become absorbed in the world of our own experiences, thoughts, feelings, and opinions. The early church used a wonderful phrase to capture the essential inward-turning nature of sinfulness. Curvitas in se. We curve in on ourselves. Sins curvitas in say, sins curvitas in say, pointedly turns away from God. When you or others suffer, you experience or witness the strength of this incurving tendency. No doubt David was feeling a tendency to want to make him turn inward. But instead... He doesn't, and he turns to God. He chooses to turn to God, and he turns outward and upward to God. As you look at this verse, or I should say this chapter, and go from verse 4 to 5, 
There's no indication that David's circumstances changed. They didn't suddenly get better. The attackers and the pursuers didn't suddenly stop. King Saul didn't suddenly repent and say, sorry, I'm not going to continue this. Nor did David have a happy moment where he now just chooses to get an emotional makeover and don't worry, just be happy. That's not what this psalm is saying. It's saying that in the midst of his pain, in the midst of when he's distraught, he chooses to honor God and to make God his refuge. And so other places he does that. So if you look at verse 5, he says this, You're my refuge. You're my portion. You're my inheritance. Verse 2 says, I pour out my complaint. I tell my trouble before him. David was rocked by his circumstances. His sufferings brought him low. But David doesn't just withdraw and sulk. Oh, this is so convicting. Because when that happens to me, that's what I want to do. I just want to find my own little cave and sulk. And tell God, this isn't the way it should be. Do you know who I am? David doesn't do that. Nor does he give up hope. Nor does he stop believing. He's been taught a truth about God and he chooses to believe that. Obviously, as we saw the video today, the pastor who was on there chooses amidst his trouble to believe God. Brothers and sisters, the essence of Psalm 142 is this. It's a picture of David choosing to believe and to declare the truth about God. He chooses amidst his pain to turn to God in prayer. He chooses to pray the truth that he knows about God. And he chooses to pray it before any change ever happens. Can you do that? Do you do that? Well, if you do, that's a picture of sacrificial worship. And that's what each of us is called to do. To give our lives to God in sacrificial worship. And so often, friends, it's during times of difficulty. The truth about his pain is there. He doesn't deny it. He takes it to God. He doesn't pretend it doesn't exist. It's devastating. It's real. And he admits it. But he admits it in such a way that he takes it to God and he says, I will choose to believe and pray the truth about God as it's declared by his word, even if my feelings don't say so. Friends, that's sacrificial worship. The feelings are real. The emotions are real. But let me say this. Feelings and emotions are not authoritative. Only God's word is. 
feelings and emotions are not what we are called to obey. The cultural norm to say, it's just your heart, just follow whatever your heart said, is ludicrous when you hold up biblical truth. I'm not saying that God doesn't put desires in our hearts that he wants us to act upon for his glory and honor. But we can't let feelings and emotions be the ultimate authority of what we do. That's nowhere in scripture. God's word alone is authoritative. And David chooses to cry out to God, to believe the revealed truth about God, to declare his trust in God and place his hope of deliverance as well in God. We're called to do the same. As David did that, he practiced worship. Friends, the amazing good news that I want to remind us of about worship is this. Those who worship God in truth are in relationship with God. Therefore, they are never alone. Let me say that again. Those who worship God in truth, that means they've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Those who worship God in truth are in relationship with God and are therefore never alone. Those who by virtue of God breathing life into their soul and bringing them to faith are brought into a living, eternal relationship with God who will never, ever, ever leave or forsake them. So if you are here this morning and you are in a relationship with God, the promise is he will never, ever, ever, ever leave or forsake you. Even in the midst of and especially in the midst of difficult times and trial. Though in those times and trial, what plagues our thoughts is I'm never going to get out of this. And don't you know, I am all alone. And I want to say... No, you are not. God is with us. In a few months, a few months, now it's weeks, one of my favorite times of the year is Christmas season where we celebrate, rightly so, the truth. God has come to be with us. And for the Christian, will never leave or forsake us. That's the truth. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you, well, just listen and take courage. Isaiah 41, 8 through 10, one of my favorite verses in Scripture says this. Listen to the kindness of God. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, That's from the heart of a father who knows relationship. You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. 
I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Notice the precious promise, the benefit of coming into a relationship with God. There's at least seven promises here. I am with you. I am your God. I will still help you. I will strengthen you. I will give you aid. I will cause you to stand. I will uphold you with my good and powerful hand. Friends, these truths, thanks be to God, remain during trial. And our declaring them in prayer, our declaring them in worship, brings us to a place before God where he is able to make us believe those. Let me say that again. When we bring those to God in prayer, when we bring those to God in worship, we may or may not at the time believe them. Confession, there are times when I don't. There are times when I functionally don't believe that. And thanks be to God for the gift of repentance where I can say to God, God, help me to believe that. I'm struggling to believe it right now. And here's the amazing transaction that I can testify that happens again and again and again. When I bring those to God and I say, God, help me. I'm crying out for faith right now. So oftentimes I find in response to that, God brings, I don't know how he does it, but thanks be to God, he does. He brings faith. He brings strength. He brings help. Oftentimes it's my wife who will say to me something about the character and nature of God just to encourage me in it. At times it's my children. But nothing is so precious as when I go to God and I say, God, I want to believe these. Would you help me? Do you know what? There's never, ever been one time that I can think of where I went to God on my knees and said, God, I don't believe. Would you help that he hasn't encouraged my heart. I'm sure you have testimonies as well in your own life where he's helped you with that. As brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the kindest things that we can do for one another when we're walking through times or we see somebody walking through times of difficulty is to go to them and to remind them of the character of God and the promise of God, and the fact that he is their father who will help them. Friends, the challenges abound, as do the opportunities for us to help one another. Now, someone might say to me, and people have say to me, said to me, you want me to trust God and to cry out to God during this time of tragedy and difficulty that has hit my life when God could have prevented it? You want me to cry out to that God? How could you say that? To which I must say, friends, we have to rely upon what we know as revealed truth of who God's character is. We may not understand. And feelings may be screaming at us and even betray us to not believe it. 
But that gives us no permission to deny the truth of who God is. It's revealed in his will. We are called to cry out to God. We are called to trust the declaration of who he is in his word. Incidentally, my friend who lost her husband today is living a vibrant, um, joy-filled life. She just happens to be an incredible prayer warrior of faith. But it wasn't always so. It took time. It took years of her pouring out her heart to God, crying out for his help, lamenting her situation to God. And the strength that she has today is a reflection of the fact that she continuously poured out her heart to God. She went to God as a refuge when there for her appeared to be no other. This week I was watching a video of the Sutherland shooting news and there was a clip with the pastor and his wife of that church speaking, one of the pastors. Um, I didn't expect to be taken back by the news clip as I was and it got my attention. Um, in one clip, the pastor spoke about the fact that his daughter had been shot, along with all of the members of this church. But when he spoke about losing his daughter, it, uh, having two daughters of my own, it just took me aback. And I began again in my heart to ask a question. God, how does somebody make sense of this? How could you let this happen? Temptation at that point crept in. And so I prayed, Lord, how do you want me to understand this? How does somebody begin to recover from this as I listened to what he had to say? Talk about temptation to feel all alone for him and his wife and their church. Temptation to feel abandoned. One of the reporters asked him how he would comfort the families. And when he said that, I thought, glad he's not asking me. I don't know what I would say. But the words of the pastor at that point became a balm to my soul. And he said this, if we're going to get through this, we're going to have to lean on the Lord, our whole community. What really got me was this. He said, I do not understand this, but my God does. And that's enough for me. I heard those words and I thought, yes, you have just pastored my soul to take this before God. I don't understand this, but my God does. And that's enough for me. Place in Proverbs says, do not lean on your own understanding. 
David practiced leaning on the Lord. And he practiced leaning on the Lord by crying out to God. He sets that as a model for us. Point three, the challenge engaged, moving from spectator to participant. Running out of time here. Folks, as we read the Psalms, we have to remember that the Psalms are not written simply as a book of Hebrew poetry to be used as songs during worship, though they are. They're not simply truths that are put down for us to meditate upon, though they are that as well. In many ways, we need to understand that the book of Psalms is a liturgical, if I could use that word, in a worship service. It's a liturgical manual that is to be used in the congregation to help the congregation to learn how to rightly relate to God. It's an instruction manual. And so this psalm is an instruction for us how we are to read this psalm, how we are to use this psalm. If we are, therefore, to rightly read Psalm 41, we must see that there's a point of engagement. And the point of engagement is where we, the spectators, become we, the participants. Where we, the spectators, become we, the participants. Or we, the prayers, or I should say, we, the observers, become we, the prayers. Taking it from the book of James, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers, doers of the words. So the words that we just read a few minutes ago, for example, in Isaiah, I will be your God. I will be faithful. All those words, they are precious words. They're precious words. But friends, they do us no good. They do us no good. They're words on a page unless we take them and we pick them up with our thoughts and we meditate them with them in our hearts and with our lips we pray them and we worship them in faith to God. A non-Christian can say those words. We can just say those words. That's not the purpose of this psalm. The purpose of this psalm is that we would take these words and take them to God. And in the process, there's an exchange. It's not enough just to say the words. There's a part of it where we have to engage the words that they would engage us, where we would pray those words. It's critical, folks, that we become participants. Critical. The purpose of this psalm and the rest of Psalm 149 is to help us as God's people during times of difficulty to properly relate to God, to glorify him, to glorify him during times of difficulty, to run to God during times of of trial, and to see him for who he is. He is our refuge. He is our hope. And as we study this psalm, it calls us to believe that. Would you pray with me? Father, your word here 
says that you are are our refuge. David ends the psalm that the righteous will surround me for you have dealt bountifully with me. Lord, you've dealt bountifully with us in giving us this psalm and bringing us into faith with you. Father, I pray for us that you would help us come to you pour out our hearts to you and experience the strength that comes by trusting the truth of who you are. Lord, I ask this for your name's sake. Amen.